Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled Remembrance of Venerable Trangu Rinpoche by Kathy Lamo Jackson. In this week's talk, Kathy Lamo gives a brief review of Trangu Rinpoche's life, teachings, and accomplishments for the Dharma. She also examines the Mahamudra lineage prayer with which he began each teaching and discusses practices being done worldwide since his passing on June 4, 2023. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Before I do an introduction and everything, I'd like us to do some prayers together um, because these are very ancient prayers that have been passed down over the last, some of them over 900 years ago. Actually, the first prayer was, are the words of the Buddha. And it's called the Tashi prayer. Tashi means auspicious. And most Tibetans would do this before, when they wake up, before they go on a trip, before you do anything, and at nighttime, so you have auspicious dreams. Um, and it's a prayer that's often used um, sort of for protection, you might say. But it's just a very nice prayer. I always like to start this. And my teachers always began with this prayer. So we're going to just sing the Tibetan, because the English um, is probably going to be different throughout the room, which happens a lot. And you can just follow along. Don't worry how you sound. Normally we do this in prayer mudra, which I do like this, kind of at my heart, but I'm, you're holding a book, you just hold one hand up. And if that's too much, don't even worry about it. Oh, oh, let me make sure my phone is off. <laughs> no matter what, I'm sure I'll get an advertisement. <laughs> Om Tashi cho cho shinna cho paye Sanje cho dangyen dun pape tsok Kun la cha tsa da cha trashi shok Drun me gyao pao sa den dun dun gom Jan pe gyen ba ge dra pa dam ba Kun la gom pao ja chen Drapa-chen,龙波塔巴萨,巴萨尼,三千汤切拉公,抓背包,一千三千巴萨,抓背包,三千三千巴萨,抓背包,三千三千巴萨,抓背包,三千三千巴萨,抓背包,三千三千
Rinchendu Jodrashi Seginya Tuchonpo Zoyo Kamala Nendra Tudamponso Pelbeu Minu Yatsen Mongyur Porlote Rinchenta Chokiki Chatsen Chen Jodu Kyawa Chuchi Yekma Natu se de la ze gorlodan, Jishu la dan du tu torche chen, Iwam rel di chuden gazenzen, Sasune su gele thrashi bel, Jiting yong wagela jatsalo, Da jaden dirajawa. Sombala, Kegdane Watsewa Kunchine, Dudu Papa Sandu Yishindu, Jashi Dele Kunsunso Arjo. Thank you, everyone. You all sounded beautiful. All right, wait, we're not done. One more prayer. It's only 29 stanzas. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit, a lot about this prayer today. And traditionally, for most of my teachers, this is always the next prayer. This is a prayer that gives homage to our entire lineage uh, as Karmakagyu practitioners. And this is called the Mahamudra lineage prayer. So Mahamudra is, you might say, our final goal as becoming Buddhas uh, within this lifetime to recognize our true nature. It's called Mahamudra. And so this touches on who they were, and we're gonna talk more about it later, but this is a very, really very special song. And it's more than a song. People use this as a visualization. And I'm gonna be teaching again in August, and we'll go deeper into that, but I wanted to make sure you, I introduced this to you today for several reasons. Let's see, this has so many tunes. Um, I'll do more of a simpler tune that's nice. Uh, and I might change it for a moment, so please bear with me. Dorje Janjendelo Narodan Marpa Mila Juje Gam Popa Dosun Jeja Gunjin Garmapa Dapo, 
everyone for being here today. I've not been here for a very long time. My name is Kathy Jackson or Kathy Lomo Jackson. I've been around since the 80s. So some of you, if you haven't, were not born then, you can leave now. No, I'm joking. So um, five months, five, five, back in March, I ruptured my Achilles tendon at work. In the middle, I work night shifts. And um, so the first month, so everyone said, oh, you're so lucky. You're going to have a lot of time off to practice. 
So this is what I practiced for five months. Month one, I learned how to sleep again. I worked, during COVID, I, was, I, I worked too much. And so when my husband would go to work, I would come downstairs, fall asleep in his chair, and then try and tidy the house right before he got home from work. He's right outside, I don't think he can hear this. Then, of course, he never expected anything. And also I learned how to use the boot um, and how to give myself sponge baths. And all these years I've worked with patients and I don't think I ever understood what limitations or what walls we hit when we're at home recovering. Month two, um, I discovered how to use the boot. I could spin in it, I could walk fast because it protected my legs so well. You all know what a boot is, right up to your knee. And um, it was a great invention, whoever did that. Every two weeks, there were inserts in it so that it allowed my Achilles fibers to find each other because it neutralized my Achilles tendon. It kept my foot like this, so my Achilles, they found themselves and they healed beautifully. Um, that was month kind of two. Month three, I discovered going to physical therapy and I could walk again with a walker in my neighborhood. Month four, I got really fast. The neighbors asked me to slow down on the streets because <laughs> you can't walk on a sidewalk with a walker. Um, and I tried to move over to a cane, but that's been a slower process. So by the time June came along, so it was March, April, May, oh no, month four, but something very happened, special happened that we're gonna talk about today. And I'll, I'll no longer talk about myself soon. So month four, one of our beloved teachers, Tronga Rinpoche, who is um, 91, he died. He left his body on June 4th. And today we're gonna to talk about him. How many here ever were at his teachings besides Ron? Is Julaine, you wanna put your hand up if you know who I'm talking about? So he, he was so prolific in his books that um, I went downstairs today to tell you what books to look at. And I couldn't find any and I realized why. People, a lot of people donated that library. The last books you're gonna donate are his. The last books you're ever gonna give away are his because he is the man. He was the, the, the tutor to so many different um, teachers over the years. So I thought today I would speak about him and a few of his books and we'll carry on with that later. But the one reason we particularly wanted to do the Dorji Chong prayer the slow one that we did secondly. He did that before every teaching he ever was at that I was at. And I read that he always did that because it sums up kind of who we're gonna become. And so we're gonna go over it in English later on. But I, I just thought I would talk a little bit about, um, let me bring up my iPad. I made a really fast outline. So, this is a picture of him. This is a, he's very old here. He's in his late 90s here. He never stopped smiling. Did he disappear? Well, that's good. Let's get him here. Is that better? Thank you, everyone. I love when people are, it's, we're all trained from Zoom, I think. <laughs> and so, um, and he's especially very special to several of us here because we got to go to a monastery every year, right? and see him, he was there, he came so many times, our monastery is in upstate New York, and he would give astounding teachings. And it seemed like anything he taught, you understood it. I don't consider myself very intellectual, I'm more devotional, 
But when he taught, it stuck. And, it, and he, he taught even profound, high-level things, but he figured out how to teach it to people of all levels. So we're going to talk a little bit about his life today, because I think a lot of you might not be aware of. And so another reason why I would like to introduce this concept is for all of you, you were invited to go to YouTube. Go to His name is Trangu. He's from, his lineage came from Trangu, Tibet. It's T-H-R-A-N-G-U, T like Tom. And if you go to Trangu Media on YouTube, for the last 40 odd days, they've been, ever since he died, they do um, practices at his monasteries all over the world, but they're filming it at Namo Buddha in Nepal. It's the most beautiful monastery. And it's, and they, I've been meaning to tell Julaine this, every week they change the shrine because during the daytime, they do four sessions. So throughout the day and night almost, except late night, they're practicing different practices according to our tradition that normally you would do for a very high teacher. And this is unprecedented. Most of us um, have never really seen, we don't get to see that because that's too much filming. But at night they film crying to the guru from afar and supplication practices. And they do it so, it's the best cameras. And they have the script at the bottom so you can read that. And I invite you, it's I think at 9.15 every morning, I never watch it then. I just play it throughout the day because the singing is some of the best I've ever heard. Plus, what's really kind of fun, after a while, in the beginning, you know, the monks were all mourning very heavily. This is a man who basically, he raised so many people there. He was almost like dad and granddad to everyone, and great-grandfather. And the first few weeks, it was very like this. Now it's much more lively. And around the very outer ring in the, in the main shrine room there are all the young kids. So they can really belt out those high notes. I mean, you really try and watch them though. They really misbehave. I love them. <laughs> They're my favorite. They're real kids, right? And so they always have older kids sitting with them, but they, they just let them, you know, they let them stretch it out, you might say. Um, so I invite you to go YouTube, Chongo Media, and I'll, they're doing it in Canada, and they're doing it in Hong Kong, but go to Trongo Media, because that's the one at Namo Buddha. And you can go back all the way to June, maybe 5th is when they started. So remember I said I learned how to sleep really well. And then, oh, in my second month, I really learned a lot about television. And I knew it was really bad when I started praying for people on TV, and it was probably a taping, right? So I thought, no, this is ridiculous. And then, thank God, finally by month four, this event happened and it's been done so skillfully. And for those of students here that were students of Kempo Karcher Rinpoche, Lama Kathy, me and many people here in the room were his students, this is exactly the same thing they did for him. Every night they did that practice and during the day they did like Amitabha for one week, Chakra Samvara one week, they would do the Bardos for one week, um, Shitro. So it's, so there's one more week left and so, um, but I go back sometimes because they do different, you know, different music. And the head of our whole lineage is called, his name is Gyawal Karmapa. It's a picture of him on the shrine. He's a 17th, 16th, is up there in a painting. He has been the director and advisor to tell them what practices to do each week. And so some nights while they're doing the seven o'clock practice, so what we're watching at night is the seven o'clock. So it's after their dinner. 
and you see monks in their bare feet on top of the shrine setting up for the next week. It's so cool. You've got to watch it, Julie. She's the shrine keeper. She'll go crazy. So anyway, that's my, that has been the nicest thing to, because I haven't been able to do quiet meditation since my body's changed so much and I went through a lot of trauma. Now things are calming down, but um, I think it's very nice to realize that, you know, we meditate in so many different ways. We do quiet meditation here, but we also do chanting. And so I'm more of a chanter. And so um, this has really kind of fed my soul, you might say, if we have a soul. So let's talk about Trungpa Rinpoche. Um, so he was born, and anyone, um, Ron, what year do you think he was born? After Kemper Rinpoche, 20, uh, 33, 1933. So I lived in 91, and he is from Eastern Tibet. And um, I have to watch the time. So he is considered a tulku. He is a, um, a person who's chosen to be reborn. So it's the Trangu tulkus. He's the ninth one that was reborn. And he was born in a little area in um, Eastern Tibet. That's where most of them are born. And just to give you geography, so the Chinese came, came through the east. Here's China, here's Eastern Tibet, and then here's um, what is the main, oh, I'm thinking Serpu Monastery. Anyway, here's Lhasa, right, and kind of more over on the eastern, or the western edge. So he was born there, and he went through the typical training. Um, he was, it's called recognized. The one before him had described where he would be reborn, and the Karmapa and the Sita Rinpoche did the prediction letters, and they found him. He was very young. And I don't think he went into monastery until he was five or six, which is like, like a, almost like a boarding school you live at. And sometimes there's a little sign that this was probably a real toku. When he got to the monastery, he was insistent that he get his white mule and his white dog. He wanted to know where his dog and mule were. And his parents said, quit asking for that. You ask for that everywhere you go. And an old attendant from the eighth karmapa, who was really old, said, I know where they are. They're really old, but I'm... So he brought him out, and he was overwhelmed with joy. So he, he's a very humble person, so he never played up his ability to sense things, but supposedly he had many gifts. So moving on, so what we, he was born in 1933, so he went through his training, and then um, things... And then he went through many different monasteries and kept going through the ranks, he went through different retreats, and he is a toku, so they're given very high training because he's going to—he's basically takes the lineage of the eighth and then brings it here and then moves it to the ninth, you know, it's or the tenth. So um, at some point, he did a three-year retreat and other retreats, and our teacher Kemble Kardashian she did many retreats with him, and. Um, but then everything changed in the late 50s when the Chinese started to come. So the Chinese were starting to knock on the border of Tibet pretty heavily early 50s. And a special monk showed up um, that had been teaching all over Tibet. He was very controversial. I can show another picture. <laughs> so this is this picture, Kempo Gongshar. It's one of the few pictures they have of him. Have any of you been to his teach these teachings? I can't, can I see, Julaine? Okay, so Kempo Karcher Rinpoche taught on this, Ron, you probably 
were there around 2012. He taught um, at our center in Columbus. So this monk came and he started teaching all of Tibet how to deal with your mind during a difficult time. Because he had a vision that they were gonna be overrun by the, um, the communists. And it was very controversial. A lot of old timers like, no, no, you don't teach this to everyday people. Like he'd teach in a monastery and the next few hours he'd be down in the village teaching anyone that wanted it. And so Trungpa Rinpoche invited him and my teacher, Kempo Karcha Rinpoche, spoke a lot of this event. But I was in India and got teachings from Trungpa Rinpoche on this, from his very mouth, he said these words. He said, I told no one at the monastery, but I decided I was going to leave and become a rebel soldier for the Tibetan cause. I went to the tailor, I paid them well so they would tell no one, and I had a uniform made. A soldier, he was gonna become a soldier. He was gonna no longer be in charge of hundreds and hundreds of monks and nuns and whole villages. He was gonna try and, and protect Tibet. And this monk showed up and he gave such profound, simple teachings on how to recognize your mind instantly. The whole monastery changed. Other teachers have said monks that always bought with each other completely stopped doing that. Everyone shifted, including Trungpa Rinpoche because he was the highest teacher he spent a great deal of time with him. And I don't know if he ever told him that or what was going on, but obviously he did not leave um, to be, go and kill other people. So that was 1957. Around 1959 or so, things were getting really bad. The, um, there was bombing, et cetera, on Eastern Tibet's front. So the monastery, Trungpa Rinpoche and other teachers along with our teacher decided to leave, and they packed some mules. He liked mules, mules are good animals for packing. And they had their provisions, and they got on, their, there were only two roads to go out of that part of Tibet, and they were completely, they had a traffic jam with yaks everywhere. Thousands of people were escaping, they didn't want to be killed, because planes were already going overhead, and they had never seen a plane before. So the long story is, he made it all the way to get the blessings of the Karmapa, all the way across Tibet to go to Lhasa. Serpu is near there, that's the monastery. And the Karmapa said, things are not gonna get any better. You're to rest here for a month. I'm gonna give you yaks and three yaks full of provisions, and then you're to go on. But the, it took them almost three months to get to there and to get to the Karmapa. And in those three months, they were they had some really close calls. So. Um, they then moved on, they went to Bhutan, and finally, because of the work of the Dalai Lama, they were able to get through the border there, and they spent several years at a very rough place. Orville and my husband and I were in this, we had to go through this, it's called um, a border town, really rough, and there were prisons there that were emptied, and they had all the monks live in the prisons. And there were about 1,500 monks of every tradition so we're a very specific, we're not the same tradition for people walking off the street as a Dalai, His Holiness Dalai Lama. There's kind of four main schools in modern time. There's um, Galupa, Nyingma, Shakipa, and Warkarmakagyu. And they were all thrown together in this prison camp. And food was very sparse. And our teacher, Himakarta Rinpoche, was in the hospital most of the time. So his stories are around that. But Tranga Rinpoche was working with, and all the monks, and the Dalai Lama organized it 
they all shared. Um, so often when you go to a teacher that has certain, line, holds a lineage, they will give you a reading transmission. So all of the different transmissions blended and they shared everything with each other. And then they all had examinations together because you have to take exams for different levels. So Chunga Rinpoche did that. He got some of his higher exams there done. And our teacher made it through. Supposedly he gave away all of his, his uh, medicine to other people, but um, he also got out of there. Um, Chunga Rinpoche spent some time in India teaching. Um, and the Dalai Lama asked him to become the Karmapas um, become one of the main tutors. So as the 17th Karmapa came later, he is considered the main tutor of many of the Karmapas. So he's, even though when we see him, we don't see this intellectual genius he truly is. He's so skilled, you don't see it. He doesn't have that edge. So then finally, he, um, he finally settled in Nepal and built a very tiny monastery, uh, which I was at, which I thought was huge. I didn't know it was tiny. He built that in the 80s, and I was there in 89. I didn't realize it was just been built. And then um, there's, and Nepal has beautiful, several huge stupas full of relics of the Buddha. And um, so there's like a ring of monasteries all around it. He was one of those monasteries. But his vision was to build a much bigger monastery way in the middle of nowhere on a beautiful mountainside where there's no pollution like Kathmandu. So that's Namo Buddha. And that's where the filming, if you go online, you, that's that monastery. So what are his accomplishments? They're pretty amazing. Well, just moving forward for a moment, I'll, I'll intertwine them in here. So not only did he build those two monasteries, they're basically complexes. He built nunneries everywhere. He built three retreat sites. Um, all over Asia, primarily at first Nepal, and then I believe somewhere in India. And then he, um, in Nepal, there was a need for a lot of Tibetan children that were orphaned. So he started uh, sort of a wonderful school that's still going today to train Himalayan children on the traditions on, of Tibet, of being a Tibetan, but also um, to get a very modern education. And a lot of them have come to the West to go to college. It's very impressive. He had clinics, or he still has clinics they started. Um, not to mention all the different books. In the old days, when we were Buddhist in the 1980s, there weren't a lot of books out there. So Trungpa Rinpoche decided everyone on his Western, he by then was teaching Westerners that came to him. They asked if they could transcribe him and said, sure. So they slowly started developing and printing books. So that was an amazing thing for uh, Buddhists living in Ohio that can't go to Nepal, I can just go to the store and, and get a teaching that he, what I love is most of them were teachings, not just a book, you know, where he wrote, it's truly a teaching. And maybe what's really unique about all of his books are, if you ever need a good index, I'm sorry, if you ever need a good glossary, you go to his books. If you need other supplemental indexes, this is where you know he's, it's very intellectual, it's beautiful, great diagrams, and beautiful questions and answers in every book. So, um, so that's another thing that he was very well known for. So then moving forward, um, after that, after things got settled in Nepal, he started traveling. And so he's traveled all over the world. I don't know if he went to Antarctica, but he's been throughout Asia, Europe, 
and the Americas in Canada, a great deal in Canada. He has a monastery there. He has centers, a few centers in America. And um, so, but in the last maybe 10 years, he slowed down a little bit. And he's so organized that before he died, he laid out who was in charge of what. So, his, you know, his organization is thousands of monks and nuns and, and other, and of course the locals that are very involved. And during the earthquakes, I'm sorry, I haven't stopped, I just keep going. During the earthquakes in Nepal in 2015, he had enough connection, they found helicopters to go to those outlying areas where no one had gotten any food or water. And um, because his schools focus on those kids way in the outback that don't have a lot of resources and ability to get in. So it's, it was very impressive. So I always forget when I would go to his teaching what a great person he was because he never let on. You know, he just wore, he didn't wear anything fancy, just, just very, very simple. So let me see if there's, I'm sure I missed something here. Are there any questions? No, no questions, okay. Just look here. So I always like to give resources in my class so that you can always go somewhere to look stuff up. His main website is Rinpoche. So Rinpoche is a title we give to teachers. It means precious one. It's R-I-N-P-O-C-H-E dot com. Rinpoche dot com has a great deal of like what's going on right now, a lot of prayers, a lot of links, and a great deal of his books um, by the blessings of some very nice people have been digitized, and a lot of them are free, or a dollar, um, or you can, um, and I think that includes shipping. Um, they're at Namze Bangzo Bookstore, actually, excuse me, that's our bookstore in upstate New York. It's Namo Buddha Publications. So if you're ever interested, you could always ask me again. You can even go, if you go to Rinpoche.com, all that information's there. But I was surprised how much information I got from there for free. I misspoke, the books I think are $1.75. But, um, so what kind of books did he have? Did he write over the years? Well, remember I said that he covered everything. So he started out with people that were Westerners that didn't know anything about Buddhism. So every prayer he would put a book out about because he would teach on it. And then slowly um, all the Buddhist concepts. And then over time he started to get into the, the really interesting things which are I mentioned at the beginning of the class, this prayer that we did, it was called the Ma Mudra, um, the Ma Mudra lineage prayer. Maybe just for fun, I'll look up the word Ma Mudra in the index, or sorry, glossary, I'll get it right. So Ma Mudra means great seal, like a seal you, know, you put on a letter. And it means that all phenomena are sealed by the primordial perfect true nature. This is kind of heady stuff, but basically, at some time in your career as a Buddhist, your teachers may point out the nature. Normally, it's um, an oral lineage where your teachers um, point out the nature of your mind, who you truly are. And it could be just a few words, a gesture. It could be a teaching you went to, and you suddenly have that aha moment. They say that we, our minds are naturally in this state but our bewilderment and our neuroses covered up. So have you ever 
when you're doing something and suddenly your mind completely just drops and rests for a moment. Like, oh, we're talking a moment. And then we go back to that busy chatter. So that's ma mudra. It's where we don't stop thinking. It's just we identify with the world in a very different way. And it's considered, Mama Kathy, by the way, is very good at teaching this. I'm begging her to do some Mahamudra courses soon. But when you learn Mahamudra, it's so simple. And the Karmapas have said they'd like the Westerners to learn that because we're so well educated. So our minds are already ready for this type of practice. And so that's kind of why I chose that prayer today because Chonga Rinpoche spent a great time, deal of time, talking about Mahamudra and teaching meditations on it. Because it's not something you just become. You have to, it's a practice. So let me go back. In the glossary, I can remember the word. This is a little involved. Let's see. So back to Mahamudra, the meditative transmission emphasizes perceiving the mind directly rather than engaging in rational analysis. And it goes on to, it goes all the way back to the time of Marpa and refers to the experience of the practitioner, that's all of us, who attain the union of emptiness and luminosity and also perceive the non-duality of the phenomenal world. Boy, this is really heady description. Basically, it's resting in the nature of who you truly are. So I thought for a moment, since we don't have any Q&A, we could take a look at that Dorji Chong prayer that we did. And let's just do that, let's read it in English. There's three sections to it. And we're not gonna go deep into it today, but I just thought it'd be nice. This is the one that's called, that starts with Dorji Chong. So it's in three sections. The first is the lineage and we're supplicating those that brought this lineage together. Everyone have a booklet? Thank you. So if you have the white one, it's past the page that says Chinrezi. Okay. So I'm gonna read a bunch of names. You can read with me and I'll dissect this a little bit afterwards. So let's start. It says, and we're going to read only in English. Great Vajadara, Talopa, Naropa, Marpa, Milarepa, Lord of Dharma Gampopa, knower of the three times, omniscient Karmapa, holder of the four great and eight lesser lineages. So let's just stop for a minute. My God, how many words there do you not recognize? So, Vajadara is we have a statue downstairs that's going to be consecrated. Um, they'll be our main Buddha. Instead of a Buddha, it's going to be Vajadara. And is there a picture of Vajadara in here? I can look that up, can't I? We were all kind of shocked when we learned that our teacher, because of our fire we had years ago, he, he said he was going to get us statues. 
And we didn't think we, we would get what he got, which is pretty amazing. Can you come down a little bit? Come on. <laughs> I won't come down. Oh, good. Here's some good ones. It's so frustrating with the iPad. Sometimes it just won't do what you totally want it to do. Now it went away. I was going to talk about him. All right. So he's blue. Is he still up there? He's blue. And he's holding in his hands a bell and a dorje. And they're symbolizing separability of wisdom and compassion. And so this begins with him because he's considered, he's a form of a Buddha for us in everyday terms. So this is lineage birth. So we're going from the top down. And then his student was Tilopa, and his student was Naropa. Next was Marpa, Milarepa, Gompopa. The knower of the three times is Dusumkempa, who was the first Karmapa. We're now up to 17. And all of them are part of the short stack or the short group of our lineage. We're going back 900 years for some of them. And many of them spent their entire life getting these teachings and getting it written down for us. So it's pretty amazing. And then it says, holder of the four great and eight lesser lineages. Well, we have a lot of different lineages inside of Karmakagyu. And the next line is all that. Drikung, and these are all founded by different students. Drikung, Taklung, Sapa, these three. And they were all founded by, I can't remember who, by one person. Then there was the glorious Drukpa and so on, masters of the profound path of Mahamudra. Unequal protectors of beings, the Dakpo Kagyu, it's a form of Karmakagyu. I supplicate the Kagyu Lamas. So basically, this is an homage to that, to those that founded this. The next is the, kind of the, the main entree, I guess. I won't use the word meat. So it's a main section. And this has four points, which are very beautiful. And these are the teachings. Um, and they begin where it says, grant your blessings. Grant your blessings that I follow your example. I hold your lineage. And here we, now it begins. Detachment is the foot of meditation as is taught. To the meditator who is not attached to food and wealth, who cuts the ties to this life, grant your blessings that I have no attachment to honor or gain. So that's the first teaching. And so this is, there's a lot of heavy symbolism in here, but essentially just not to be so attached to everything. Yes, we need to have food and clothing and a house over our head, but to know that it's all impermanent. But at the same time, use it well. So the first one is not to be so attached or grasping to everything. The second one is devotion. Devotion is the head of meditation, as is taught. To the guru who opens the gate at the treasury of oral instructions, which I mentioned for Mahamudra. To this meditator who will continually supplicate you, grant your blessings, an uncontrived devotion is born within. So devotion and confidence is very important in this lineage. And how do you get that? Well, you slowly get that. And we're going to go over this the next time I teach. The next one, 
Non-distraction is the body of meditation as is taught. So what do we have? First we had not to be attached, detachment. The second one was devotion. And now we're talking about non-distraction. And he goes on, whatever arises is fresh, the nature of thought to the meditator who rests simply in that meditation without altering it, grant your blessing that this meditation is free of conception. And that's after you've mastered this practice. That's not right now. And then the next one, the nature of thought is dharmakaya as is taught. Nothing whatsoever, it arises as everything. To the meditator for whom it all arises as unceasing play, grant your blessing that I realize samsara and nirvana are inseparable. Samsara and nirvana are, this is a world we consider samsara, um, which has um, pain, suffering, but has joy and love. It, we have kind of everything here all bundled together. And then nirvana is awakening. So at some point, you can live in samsara and be fully awakened. And the last is um, an aspiration. So this is part three. Through all of my births, may I not be separated from the perfect guru and so enjoy the splendor of dharma. Perfecting the qualities of the path and stages, may I quickly attain the state of Ajradhara. What's very important here is to realize, and this is something in Buddhism we have to remind ourselves. I work as a hospital chaplain, so I always have to remind myself that our viewpoint is a little different than um, maybe some of you, I know I was raised Catholic, where our ultimate goal was, you know, to have the grace of God or whatever. But here in Buddhism, it's not relying on any outside source. We believe the divine is within us, and that ability is within here. Of course, we believe in blessings and wonderful circumstances that come our way, but we don't rely on just some outside source to protect and help us. We rely on our practice. And so that is the Dorji Chang. We often just call the Dorji Chang prayer, or the Dorji Chang Tongma means short prayer. So this is, it's pretty profound, isn't it? It looks very simple on the outside, but it's, there's a Chang Rinpoche on YouTube. Um, there are many, many teachings he's did on this. And the next time I come, I'm going to, oh, I was looking for a picture of Dorje Chong. Here it is, right in front of me. So this is a compilation over 40 for 50 years of all, every time I said he taught any topic, he did this prayer first, and he gave a talk on it. I, after a while, I realized, oh, this is a really heavy-duty prayer. So this booklet is a compilation of all of that and has some of the best um, appendixes, appendices I've ever seen. Um, it goes into who is Marva, who's Miller Rape. I mean, it does nice snapshots, but it, it really explains how this very simple prayer is much more than that. So I think um, we're, we have about 15 minutes. We can leave early if we want. It's a hot day. Or if there's, oh, and so he did many other books. And I'll leave these up here for a few minutes if people want to look at them when I end. Um, and I would gladly stay if people have questions about if you want to talk to me or any public questions. No? I put you to sleep. 
do you want, can you go over to the mic? Is that okay? I'm sorry. You want, it's mic'd, right? It's turned on, okay, thank you. Um, hi. Oh, I didn't know the mic is over here too. <laughs> I haven't been here in a while. Um, I just wanted some uh, clarity on, you gave us some web links that we could follow. Um, could you give us those again? You want the links again? Yes, please. Absolutely. So to watch, let's, let's go through this slowly. To watch um, the videos right now of, um, so for 49 days, I didn't go into this much. Uh, I, that's right, I have 15 minutes. I might talk about this. Let me first give you the links. So for YouTube, um, of course, YouTube, and then you put in, um, when you bring it on the screen, Bring, in, bring up Trangu Media. It's spelled T as in Tom, H-R-A-N-G-U. The next word is media. And I think I wrote down what it's called. Let me just bring it on my phone. Because there's a lot of, Trangu Media will get you in the right neighborhood, but I'm trying to find right here. My iPad should be able to just open up right to it. I'm on it so much. But it's fun to watch on TV too, so. T-H-R-A-N-G-U. T is in Tom H. R-A-N-G-U media. And so I'm gonna just bring one up. So they might look like this. And the title of it is, you'll see Tibetan script, it's called um, Supplicating a Root Guru Tranga Rinpoche. So it kind of looks like this. But the camera work is great, and they have all the text there. The audio is awesome. It was never like this in the early days, I can tell you. Things have improved greatly. And maybe what I'll talk about is what is it they're praying, what the prayers are right now. They've changed, because the very first day they did a special prayer, a few days by John McControll calling to the guru from afar. And it's a prayer where the student especially if they're in grief, reflect on all the gifts that that teacher gave them. But over time, the Karmapa wrote a guru yoga practice that intertwines, if any of you do guru yoga, you'll recognize some of the mantras, the manankamdams are there, and the nama rinpoche la sawadep, and so other prayers are there, but they're all on the screen, so it's just beautifully done. Then the other resource was um, Namo Buddha publication. I think it's Namo, M, N as in nickel, A-M-O, Buddha, B-U-D-H-A-H-A-A, publication, or pub. And there they have a lot of Trunk Rinpoche's books that are now all digitized. So those are the main resources I would be using right now. Oh, and the last one, and the most important is Trung Rinpoche's website. It's called Rinpoche.com. No, or is it, I think it is .com. 
R is in Robert, I-N-P-O-C-H-E. And I'll spell it again. R is in Robert, I, N is in Nickel, P is in Paul, O-C-H-E.com. And that has um, his life and many others. So at, at this time, he has not yet been cremated. He will not be cremated till late October and early November. So his body is in the next room. So if you're watching the videos, you'll see people walking by, and that's where they're going to pay homage to him. And so when a high teacher dies, they often are seated, or they sit them up, and um, sometimes they use different substances to preserve the body for 49 days, like sometimes salt, mercury. It's very different than our culture. And I'm not sure what they did for Trungpa Rinpoche. He may need nothing. Um, sometimes I know when other teachers have died, their heart remains warm for days and days. It just depends on what meditations they did and you know how they died. So that's why I, was, I deal with death and dying a lot in the hospital. So I was going to talk on death and dying today. And I thought, well, this is the perfect place to talk about Chandra Rinpoche. I mean, he gave so many of us so many teachings. So, but that was a very good question. Thank you. Are there any other questions? Well, let's just spend a moment just being quiet. Just a moment. And just in your heart, just offer the merit of, and I'm offering the merit of you being here today, taking your time out of your weekend on a hot, sticky day to come here. And taking all that goodness and offering into the world wherever there is a need. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.